advice. There are some teachers that are handling it very well, and there are other teachers who are not. A lot of it has to do with time and expectations from their district. It has to do with the way that they're being asked to deliver instruction, as well as how they're being asked to assess and grade and connect with their students. So it, it really is very hard to answer that question for the mass of teachers because it really is is very dependent on, um, again, like I said, the expectations that the school has for them. However, in my experience and, and the reason that I do what I do is because there are sometimes some expectations that the teachers are having on themselves that are just not sustainable. So those two things mixed together can lead to a disastrous, very frustrating, miserable situation for the teachers that that I work with. So what are the situations that are unsustainable? Let's take away the COVID aspect of it and just what are you normally seeing with the burned out teachers? Mm -hmm. um, so I think I, I think I heard you say, um, what are the situations that they are in that are burning them out or what, what were yes. they before? Yes. So as a teacher, uh, when I was working full time, I experienced burnout for several different reasons in different seasons of my life. And I see the same thing in, in different teachers. Um, now, the situation before COVID and all of the, the virtual teaching or the hybrid teaching that's happening right now, it, it again, really depended on those expectations of, of teachers in themselves, the, the culture of education and what was acceptable, or quote unquote, acceptable and what was expected of a teacher in a certain culture could really burn a teacher out. Um, so uh, I have a teacher burnout quiz that I created that really comes down to three types of burnout. Uh, teacher can be burned out because they are what I call burned and unbalanced, where they have too much to do and not enough time to do it. They're working on nights and weekends. They are never off. They're answering emails on their phones at night as they're lying in bed. They're planning and prepping on the weekends, and it's just their norm. And uh, it's burning them out because they're exhausted. The other type of reason that a teacher is burned out is what I call burned and over it. And that's where a teacher is surrounded by negativity and apathy. That could be from students, coworkers, administration. Like I said, the uh, the education culture of what's, you know, what what has become culturally acceptable of a teacher to just give and give and give them themselves and then get no respect and no um, accolades for all of their work. They don't really see the point in doing anything because they're going to be disappointed. That's burned and over it. The other type of burnout that I have worked with um, is burned and bored. Burned and bored is where you seem to have it all together. You have great relationships. You have great time management. You're not working nights and weekends. You you have great relationships with your students. You're you're that favorite teacher, maybe you know. Um, but the, you just feel like you need a challenge. Something's off, and you don't really know what your next step is. You don't know if that is to move to a different grade level. You don't know if it's simply to learn a new skill that can help you in your classroom just to make things more exciting for yourself. You've just kind of fallen into the monotony of the day-to-day -day work, and you've almost sort of figured it out in a way, and now you're in need of a challenge. There is an opportunity for teachers when they take the quiz to not be burned out, but something is off. And that's really the beginning stages of burnout, when you just start to feel that something's not right. And I have served every single one of those burnout types, and I have been those burnout types before. So really, the situation is no different here during COVID. I think it's just magnified and multiplied, um, especially when, again, going back to those expectations uh, that are that are given um, to teachers from their district or families or, you know, 
how hard it is to reach students in different ways, depending on their um, availability to Wi-Fi or, you know, a device. Yeah. So but like I said, it's, the types of burnout have certainly not changed. The most popular one is that burned and unbalanced uh, where there's so much to do, not enough time to do it. That has not changed at all. It's like I said, it's just multiplied. Now, I was going to ask you that actually, like which one was the most frequent that you're seeing? So what are some strategies that you're teaching uh, or working with teachers to help them regardless of, or maybe take us through which each profile and how you're helping them to get better in those situations? Good question. So with Burned and Unbalanced, we really look at their beliefs about time and how they spend it, what stories they're telling themselves about what quote unquote good teachers do, and really look deeply at their vision and what it is that they want to be spending their time on. Excuse me. <coughs> so we really set a, a vision for how they want to be spending their time and we work backwards from there. You know, I'm a huge fan of begin with the end in mind. So you know, we all have 168 hours in a week. We spend, you know, eight hours-ish, you know, on our with our contracted days. We should be spending eight hours sleeping. So that leaves about 16 hours a day to spend however we want, right? So, well, maybe my math is off a little bit there. But we have, <laughs> we have a certain amount of hours a day that we get to choose what it is that we do, right? And I apologize. What I should have said is it's eight hours of sleep a night. So we have 16 hours to do what we choose to do. And we choose to be teachers. We choose to be in the classroom. We choose to work with students. Everything we do is a choice. So we talk about that. And I really try to empower them to believe that you choose to go to work in the morning. You choose what you do when you first wake up. You choose what you do when you first walk into your classroom all of the all the way until you go to bed at night. Everything's a choice. So that really empowers them to believe that they do have control over how they use that time. And then we work backwards into planning how we're going to use that time and how many hours do we want to spend working because a lot of time those burned and unbalanced teachers, they're working 60, 70 plus hours a week. Mm. So we kind of narrow down, you know, how many hours do you want to work a week? Okay. If you want to work 45, awesome. If you want to work 50, great. Um, so how are you, when are you going to spend those hours? We talk about, you know, we talk about a, um, a time allowance and a time budget. We really talk about how, you know, time is a non-renewable resource. It's our only non-renewable resource. We can always make more money if we truly need to, but we can't make more time, but yet we spend the time like there's always going to be more of it. And so we really work hard on setting those boundaries. Boundaries is so challenging. Boundaries are so yes. challenging for teachers to, to set. Uh, because they have expectations of themselves uh, that exceed their human capabilities. And then you mix in, you know, like I've said a couple of times now already, the culture, a belief of what a teacher does and what they are expected to do, that is slowly changing because people are starting to call it out for what it is, which is unrealistic superhero syndrome, which is, you know, teachers are not superheroes. They're they're human beings. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's changing, uh, which is which is fantastic. But changing that narrative in a teacher's head is really hard sometimes. So that is really what we work on uh, with a burned and unbalanced teacher. <clears throat> with a burned and over it teacher, we really focus on 
what their true challenges are. If they're challenged by relationships with their students, their students are calling them names, they're not showing up for class, they're not doing their work, um, or they're having a you know trouble with their relationship with their administrator, they feel like the, the admin doesn't respect them, they don't care about them. You know, even the same with coworkers, you know, they just really struggle with relationships all around. We really back way up and talk about our beliefs, our preconceived notions about why that person or why that student is behaving the way that they are. And we talk about biases. We talk about, you know, what do, what do we know about that student? We really reflect heavily on how our beliefs and our thoughts really are reflecting our actions toward these people when we really don't know. You know, and chances are that, you know, a, an admin could just be a bad administrator. They're just not meant to be a leader. They're more of a manager. They Maybe they're miserable themselves, you know? Mm. Um, so we really talk, we talk deeply about, okay, what's our action plan for being someone who is proactive? What is our, what is our brand reflecting of us? Are we extremely negative? Do we ever smile? How do we take care of ourselves and our content and our classrooms? And is that reflecting poorly on our, on our, what I call a teacher brand? And is that causing an, an issue? Are, are there some misunderstandings? So we kind of come at it as a place of seeking understanding to see where, where we need to start to make small changes in how we interact with the people around us. And we also deeply talk about the things we can and cannot control. And really what it comes down to is the only thing we can control is us and our beliefs, our thoughts, our actions, the way we manage our time, the way we manage our reactions when things don't go the way that we want. In a burned and bored teacher, we really work on thinking about what we want from our career and why we're doing what we're doing and where we see ourselves in a year, three years, five years down the road. What do you want? And, and really in all of these different types, we really do talk about what, what do you want? It's okay to to want something different. It's okay to want to maybe maybe even leave education or leave your your building and go somewhere else. And it's okay to also say, I just don't want to teach second grade anymore. I really maybe want to teach fourth or fifth, you know, um, or I just want to love teaching my grade level again. So if you're burned and bored, we really talk about what is it that you want. You know, what have you done for yourself lately? What what are you looking forward to every day? So it's really getting back in touch with, you know, we have this one life and our life cannot revolve around teaching. Now, for some teachers, their life does revolve around teaching and they are happy. They are. That is their calling. That That is what they've always wanted to do. Maybe, you know, I've talked to teachers who they, they've never been able to have children. So these kids in their classroom are their kids. I and see. that's fantastic. That's good. You know. It's not a one size fits all plan or, you know, or strategy. It's really just about getting truly in tune with what we want and giving ourselves permission to go for it and to make a plan of action to go for it because you can't, you know, a dream without a wish or a dream without action is just a wish. And um, so I really just empower them to believe that they deserve and can achieve that happier and fulfilled life, um, depending on their starting with their burnout type and validating them. You're not a bad person. You just need somebody who can speak that language and empower you to take the steps necessary to, to get to where you want to go. So for a burn and more teacher, if that's, you know, that you want to start a side hustle, you know, maybe you want to start your own business. Maybe yeah. you just want to get, you know, yeah. So getting back into in tune with what are your strengths? What makes you happy? 
what do you want? And, and going from there. If you are not burned out at all, um, or if you're not burned out, but you maybe need a slight adjustment, it's really um, B in, in burned in. So burned in is an eight-step acronym. We really think about, okay, what triggered this? Because something happened that you've clearly not been paying enough attention to. You've been shoving it off, and it's starting to affect you with your health, with your sleep, with your relationships. You know something's off. We got to back up. We got to think about where did this all start? So that's what I really work on with them. You know, especially a lot of, you know, a lot of women out there are teachers. This starts when they get married or when they have their first or second or fourth baby. You know, things really change. Your emotions change. Your ability to um, do the things that you used to do at certain times change. And I think we, you know, in, in this in this profession of women, we don't pay enough attention to the fact that, you know, we are a lot of times raising families in addition to leading these classrooms. And there has to be some acknowledgement about how hard that is and some adjustments and permission given to yourself to do things differently. So tell me a little bit kind of in line with, with this is, well, do you believe that there's certain characteristics that makes a, a quality teacher or is it just kind of all over the board? Uh, there's different qualities where, is there a theme to a good teacher? Mm, that is such a good question. And my answer is there is no one quality. I think mm. I think there are some major qualities that need to be there. You have to want to be around kids. You have uh. to genuinely enjoy being around kids. You don't have to like your job every day. We all have bad days. Yes. But you're leaving a legacy with human beings. And if you don't like the people that you're hanging out with every day, then you need to make a change. So whether that's the age group, the grade level, your job in education, it is really important that you genuinely do enjoy kids and that you enjoy your content. You know, like I said, you don't have to like everything about your job every day. We have bad days. We're human beings, right? But I think the one quality that maybe is overarching is that you that you do believe in the power of education and you believe that that you are sort of the um you're the deliverer. You know, you're the person who's either going to make kids love school or hate it. And and that's a really that's a really important role um as a teacher. Now, different teachers have different strengths. They have different uh, loves, you know. They have their own personality and their own brand and own spin on doing things that, you know, brings variety and spice to a culture in, a, in you know, in a school building or in a district. Um, I, I just think that the most important part is that no matter what you teach and where you teach, that you believe that you're doing the service. Um, that that is going to bridge, you know, a, a student to to the learning and what it is that that they love about their job. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes makes total sense. Obviously, you got to like kids. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I wonder do certain teachers get in to teaching and they don't really have a you know a fondness for kids, but they're into teaching. I, I don't know if that ever exists. Have you seen that? Yeah, you know, I, a lot of teachers, especially when they first start, you know, as a first-year teacher, um, I think that you have to kind of figure out where it is that you fit best. And I think that's where mm. you have to be able to give yourself permission to say, you know, I've got some learning to do about myself and where it is that I 
or, or who it is rather that I interact with best. So myself, for example, I taught fifth, first, second, and third grade. I was the happiest when I was teaching third grade. That was just that was an eight that was a wonderful age group for me, and I could tell you if I was to go back into the classroom, I would I would really want to be in a, in a grade level between third and maybe sixth grade. Uh, I just feel like that's the place for me. I was not my happiest in first grade. I I don't feel like I am patience is not my strength with that age group. And I can just tell you that was just not a place that I was the happiest. And if I was still there, um, I actually ended my teaching career in first grade, not because I was unhappy with first grade, but just because I had to choose between staying in the class full time or running burdened teacher. I couldn't continue to do them both at the same time. So um, if I was to go back, I would definitely not seek a first grade teaching position. (laughs) Right, right. Now, do you think it's good for teachers to try different grade levels. I, I haven't I hadn't, I hadn't heard of this. I always see like a lot of teachers who are like, I'm a third grade teacher. I'm a fifth grade teacher. Do you think it's important for them to try different grades? And how feasible is that to do? Absolutely. And I think that just goes back to what the you know desires are of that specific teacher. If a teacher gets lucky enough to land in third grade and loves teaching third grade, and that's all she does her entire career, good for her. You know, but if another teacher lands in, let's go back to kindergarten or first grade, and he cannot stand it. He doesn't like wiping noses. He doesn't like, you know, helping kids to button their coats or their pants once in a while. (laughs) He's miserable. Then he needs to give himself permission to say, and, and to truly believe that this is not the same in every grade level, right? And here's another thing too, is that not all buildings, cultures are created equal. So if you love teaching your grade level, but your administration is intolerable and you've actually worked to try to build an understanding relationship between them, you have to know that you could even go to a different building in the same district and it is a completely different culture. Mm. And it really does reflect on the leadership of that building. And of course, of the district leader as well, the superintendent can, can tear down a district really fast you know, um, but not all schools are created equal. And I think understanding that you do have the power to make shifts and changes and it may say, it may take some time, but you have to talk about it too. If you don't tell anybody that you don't like teaching kindergarten or first grade or that you don't think that's the place for you, no one's going to know and they're not going to look for a place to move you if that opportunity presents itself. Yeah, that make, obviously you got to speak up. I mean, is, is it hard to change grade levels and try things out? Yeah, it's it depends. It really does. You know, there are some areas of you know, the world where there are plenty of schools and Lord knows we're all looking for teachers right now. Um, so I don't think that it's a lack of availability of teaching jobs, but there are some places, you know, here, you know, here, let's just look in the, in the United States. There are some very rural places where there's one district or there's one building you know, and if you really want to teach, you have to take what's available. So it really is dependent on the teacher. And there are some, there are even some places that I know of that there are really only two or three jobs available in that area that is to farm, to teach, to work at a bank or a grocery store. You know, there's just not a lot of options. And that's where, again, you have to decide how you're going to look at your job and where you are. So it really is very, very dependent. 
but it, a lot of times it, a lot of times it really does come down to the stories you're telling yourself about your situation and what your limiting beliefs are around what you think you are capable of doing. Yeah, that's true. You know, I never thought about it. There's there's a very large difference between kind of rural school districts versus city school districts and the size and that it's such a diverse or different landscape depending on where you land. Absolutely. Uh, for that. Mm-hmm. So I wonder also though how does social media either facilitate or or hamper or make the job harder of teachers in today's age? That is a wonderful question. Um, you know, misery loves company. And <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you from doing what I do that there are some very popular handles out there on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter that are exacerbating how horrible teaching is. And I say horrible with quotes. Um, and, and that is really what I'm trying to build awareness around is that you get to choose what you pay attention to. You get to choose who you surround yourself with. I call them your top five influencers. You get to choose who you follow on Instagram and and what you do about your hashtag teacher misery, right? So there are also a lot of wonderful influencer influencers out there. They may not be as popular as the negative, nasty images and memes and gifts and posts and things like that. But if you want to find happiness and fulfillment in your job, you can find people like me and others who are here to help you to be, number one, be vulnerable, number two, be validated, and number two, be activated to to make those changes. And, And unfortunately, social media is just, can sometimes be a cesspool of misery and is not a helpful, proactive situation. But again, that's a choice. You choose who you follow and you know who you follow is going to um, – that algorithm is going to find more of the same yep. for you to follow in that area. So I think it's it's a really important topic to talk about because a lot of times when teachers are you know feeling exhausted or frustrated or miserable, you know, hashtag teacher self-care, uh, you sit in the tub and you scroll through Instagram or – YouTube or you know Twitter or Facebook whatever and and here's another thing too is that you know you can find these nasty negative posts right that bring you down right it might make you feel connected but it's connected in misery and it's not helping you to move forward right keeps you where you are you can also find on Instagram these beautiful colorful magnificent amazing classrooms and teachers with their beautiful teacher gear on and their Pinterest-worthy, Instagram-worthy classrooms, which will equally keep you down and keep you stuck because now you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not cute enough. Your classroom's not cute enough. And you are either going to spend your entire paycheck, which is not big enough at all. You're going to spend your entire paycheck on trying to keep up with the teacher Joneses. Because that's what cute, good teachers do. And I'm not speaking for all teachers. I want to make sure I'm I'm being yeah, very clear here. But these are the trends that I see um, from a different perspective now that I do what I do. And it's very harmful, you know. And, and one teacher, it may inspire them. And one teacher, it may just completely crush them. So I think that's why, you know, just like our students, everybody is different. Everybody has different backgrounds and different makeups, you know, of their personality and their upbringing and things like that. And I think that it's just really important to not blanket statement anybody. 
you know, in those cases. But it is something to be aware of for sure. And I, well, I also think too, it's kind of, I w- I'm interested in your perspective and kind of the complicated nature of social media and students and teachers and the access that students may have to teachers beyond just being in a classroom in this kind of Wild West environment of social media. What are your thoughts on that? What are my thoughts on teachers connecting with students on social media? I think it could be, I think that, you know, I think as students getting older and, you know, you're following, I don't know, like I, this is an area I have no, I have a nine-year-old daughter. And so we're kind of getting in this, but I, I wonder like when I was going to school, it's like, you saw your teacher in the classroom and Uh that was it. Like there was no other contact with your teacher. Mm -hmm. How is that today? Do students have access to their teachers through social media um, outside of school? Like, I wonder how complicated that could be in terms of the relationship. Yeah, for sure. Well, my policy has always been I would never be a friend with a student on social media ever. Now, I I taught younger students, so it wasn't really an issue, yeah. to be honest. Once in a while, a parent would let their first or second. See, here's another thing too. When I taught third grade, which was my old one of my well, actually when I taught fifth grade back in 2006 and 7, mm-hmm. um, social media wasn't even a thing really. I mean, there was the, I think at that point it was the Facebook still maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was true. That's true. <laughs> it was just beginning and it wasn't even an issue. I, I know some, some kids had those fancy MP3 players. I don't even know if there was an iPod yet, <laughs> but, um, even up to when I taught third grade in, that was in 2014, 15, Social media still wasn't – Facebook was around. Maybe Instagram had just started, but, you know, students weren't really on social media like that, especially that young of student. Um, So it wasn't really an issue for me. Um, And then when I taught first grade, I did have a couple of first graders that did try to follow me on Facebook and that shocked me. But I would also not befriend moms. You know, I would Ah. have a lot of moms that would try to be a friend with me on Facebook. I I wouldn't do it. That was not – yeah, I, and I never even addressed it. I never – nobody even asked. I think, you know, it. it's just a boundary that I decided I did not want to I, – I, it was just high and mighty. I'm not – that's a boundary. I'm not going to do that. It just causes problems. And on the other hand, though, if a teacher would choose to be friends with whoever they want to be online – you know, just like I alluded to earlier with teacher brand, you know, how you show up on social media is just as important as how you show up to an interview. You know, people are, and there are dif- there are differences between judgments and a brand. However, how you show up in that public of a setting consistently is really, really important. And I'm not saying that you can't be human and you can't, you know, post a picture of yourself with your friends, cheersing, you know, with a couple of beers. You know, you do whatever is comfortable for you. But if you're choosing to be friends with your students' parents and, you know, your principal and whatnot, you know, that's a choice you're making. You don't have to be friends with those people on social media. But I can tell you, as a wife of a principal, when he has somebody new apply for a job, you better believe he's jumping on social media to mm-hmm. see what type of things they're posting. And it's not to make a quick judgment, but it's it's really just a quick check on character, you know, and how you are going to represent the school that you're working at. Because school is a job just like being, you know, an investment baker or, you know, working um, 
working anywhere else in a professional setting, you you want to reflect a, a you want to reflect a certain type of brand. And again, that's not me passing judgment on anybody who doesn't agree with me. Um, that's my stance on it. Uh, I'm not actually, if you want to know a secret up, about me, I'm not a huge fan of social media myself. I am on it so that people know that I exist and they know what I do and they know what Burned In Teacher is and stands for. And um, other than that, if I did not have Burned In Teacher, I don't even know if I would be on social media, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. I hear that a lot from people. I, I'm the mm-hmm. same way. I actually just only have LinkedIn and I had like all the other stuff, but I got rid of it. And I understand people getting it, you know, to promote themselves and stuff. But like, I always hear that. Like most people are like, I would not, I don't like this. <laughs> you yeah. know, like it's yeah, pretty it's common sentiment today. You know? Yeah. It's just, it's a lot of pressure. And like I, you know, like I said earlier too, about, you know, feeling like you're not enough. It just creates this unnecessary feeling of competition. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's just really unfortunate. So if I could find a way to to have an online business without having an online presence, you <laughs> You know, that would be a moneymaker right there. You know, if you, you got to master that, that, Amber, you got to master <laughs> that and t- teach us all. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, you know, wow, that's incredible. I think, you know, I didn't, I never thought about the whole parent teacher connection online mm-hmm. and how, like, if let's say you're friends with like several of your students, uh, parents, mm-hmm. how weird that could be. And uh, potentially very dangerous. Yeah, again, it just creates unnecessary drama and judgment, you know, because they Mm. don't know us as humans outside of the classroom. I mean, look, it's like a it's like a student seeing you at Walmart for the first time, especially a young student. What, Mrs. Harper, you don't live at the school. What are you doing here? (laughs) You know, it's kind of one of those situations that, you know, if, if you post, you know, private stuff online, you know, it's just one of those, again, one of those situations where it's like, do they really need to know this about you? You know, is it really necessary? I mean, that just goes back to posting in general. Really? Do they need to know that you just got a bikini wax? You know, like that kind of (laughs) stuff. Like, (laughs) like how there's a difference. I think it's Brene Brown that she said, there's a difference between oversharing and vulnerability. Yes. And I think that social media, there's a very blurred line, you know, in that, in those cases. And when you're dealing with, with students in, in the positions that we're in and and their families, I think it just makes it even more sticky. Yeah, that's totally true. I I think it can be a very, it can be a minefield. I think you have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the, you know, I want to transition a little bit into kind of virtual learning and what you're seeing in this space and how that might become more relevant throughout the years with teachers. Yeah, that's a really great question too. You know, I will never forget when I took my very first online class in college um, and it was awful. It was me Mm -hmm. uh, reading what I was supposed to do, which was at that point, I was supposed to just read a chapter or two of this textbook. I had a you know, a paper textbook. We didn't have online textbooks back then. So I would read my textbook and then I would simply just be regurgitating, typing in paragraphs. I would essentially just be copying paragraphs into these boxes, you know, on the screen. Actually, that's where I learned to type without looking was that class there. Mm. Um, so there's a huge difference between what online learning used to be versus what it is now. And I think at this point in time, you know, teachers were 
teachers in schools were just thrust into this virtual learning space when they were not prepared, not prepared at all. I mean, last spring was a nightmare. However, we did have an opportunity to learn a lot of lessons, and we did have an opportunity and still do have an opportunity to look at this definition of what teaching and learning, quote unquote, should look like. Because what's unfortunately happening is instead of us looking at this idea of that, you know, students don't have to be on Zoom at the same time for 45 to 70 minutes every day to learn what you're teaching. They could instead watch a pre-recorded video of you that is 15 minutes long, and then they go do whatever it is that you are telling mm-hmm. them to do based on, you know, what, you know, what what the learning objective is and what it how it is that you're going to assess that. I think we had a we had a huge opportunity to break this mindset of synch- you know what we call synchronous learning where we all learn the same thing at the same time in the same space. When you and I both know anybody can learn anything anytime if they want to. Exactly. You know, whether it's free or not, you have the opportunity to learn anything, anytime, anywhere now. And I think that there are a lot of schools that are missing the boat on that. Um, it's It's been my experience as a student, as a teacher, and now a parent of a, of a daughter, actually two daughters who are learning virtually right now, one in college, one in middle school, that these arbitrary, historically culturally appropriate rules that we are placing on students. So whether or not they can have pajamas on when they join their Zoom call or whether or not they're allowed to be in their bed or, you know, these these rules that we're making that really we, we haven't asked ourselves deeply enough, is this affecting the learning or not? Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I haven't thought about it that way. That's interesting. So I think, you know, and, and this is to say too that, I, again, I'm not placing judgment on schools. My daughter is one who um, who they are having her be on Zoom for maybe up to 70 minutes for a class, that they're not just doing the best they can with what they have. But if those conversations aren't happening, education will never change because there are a lot of biases in, in those types of uh, policies as well. You are assuming that a student has access to reliable Wi-Fi. You are assuming, especially if they are younger, that they have someone at home who is able to support them in that space. Those are unfair biases. It's true. And I think that, you know, until we get over these, until we really truly start to look deeper into what does it mean to be a learner and what does it mean to be a teacher, especially in the 21st century, especially whenever we have these opportunities where in some cases we have no choice but to go online to say, let's let's think a little deeper about this. Let's think about why. What is our purpose for believing that this has to be done this way? You know? I mean, that's mm. where true innovation comes, right? That's true. So I, I think there's a huge opportunity. I don't think we've fully missed it, but I think we're getting close. That's really, it's deep because also I think sometimes the disruption in things, it's a, it's good to, in many ways say, okay, is this traditional format, mm-hmm. why are we doing this? Like, mm-hmm. does, why does it happen? And sometimes we just do things because that's the way it's always been. 
And I've always kind of like, why do we do that? Like we just, cause it's easier and we don't want to like reformat the system, mm-hmm. but there's an opportunity to really re, you know, look back and say, how do, how can people learn in different ways instead of this very cookie cutter system, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's also what causes burnout because there are yes. some teachers, there are some teachers that, you know, they've done it this way for, you know, 15 plus years. And now these darn kids, they don't behave the way that they used to. <laughs> and, you know, and now they won't, they're not doing their work. Well, let me learn a, a bit more about how you're teaching them. And then it turns out they're still trying to teach with worksheets from the nineties or, you know, it's, it, it happens all the time. And, um, I think it's just, it, you just decide, you know, am I going to keep fighting these battles with these kids or am I going to, in fact, get out of my comfort zone and do something different? Now, again, this is not the same for every single teacher, but there are situations where it's like, you cannot change students. They are, they are who they are. You can change your interactions with them. You sometimes can't even change the standards that you're being taught to teach, you know, that you're being forced to teach. You can't, you can't change those things, but you can change what you think about them and how you deliver that instruction and get uncomfortable and do things where you might get it wrong. You might make a mistake. You Mm -hmm. may make a mistake right in front of your kids and to be okay with that. You know, fixed mindset is a huge, huge issue. Um, when it comes to burnout, we are deeply ingrained in these beliefs of how things are, how they used to be and how they quote unquote should be. And, and that's a huge part of burnout because if we don't tackle those beliefs, because beliefs are choices and, you know, and change those beliefs, choose to change those beliefs. There's, there's not a whole lot that anybody can do to help you. You know, I heard a quote, I heard a quote last week that, um, it says everybody wants change, but they don't want to change. And that is so, yeah. Right. I just, yeah. Mm. Mic drop. Right. Um, if you don't want to change yourself, nothing else around you is going to change. Most definitely. I mean, you've dropped a couple of gems here, Amber. (laughs) I love that. Everybody wants to change, but they don't want to change. Yeah. Right? Everybody wants change, but they don't want to change. They don't want to change. Yeah, You know, you can take that and you could replicate that into almost any system and put that into almost any aspect of anybody's lives, whether that's relationships, job, you know, um, adventure, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it would make a lot of sense for that. We're creatures of comfort. And while we have lots of innovation going on technological wise, I see the pushback. I mean, I'm in the fitness business and I know some of my colleagues who are like, don't want to hear about virtual uh, fitness. Like they're like, no, we're going to be back in the gym. That's what we're going to do. We always do that. I'm like, no one's saying you can't do that. We're going to keep doing that. But you have to admit there's other innovations out there that may help people who don't have access to going to large gyms and different things of that nature. So it's kind of a similar thing. I'm sure there's teachers who are like, I am not using this technology. I don't like this type of stuff, you know? Right. 
Right. And they don't even open themselves up to the possibility of how technology could actually make things easier for you. Yes. And that is really a huge part of this is, you know, no matter if they're burned and over it, burned and unbalanced, burned and bored, if you don't want to change you first, you're never going to change the way you're using your time. If you don't want to change the way you interact with your students, they are not going to change how they are reacting to you. You know, it cuts both ways. And I think that that's really hard for some people who are in that either fixed mindset or they are just so deeply ingrained in their beliefs that um, it it just hurts them, you know, and you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. And that's, (laughs) that's the thing about this is, you know, you can see clearly from this perspective, you know, from a different perspective where there can be some shifts in their beliefs or how they use time or what their daily actions are. But if they aren't ready to change, you you can only do so much, you know, and that's where that coaching aspect comes in where you just ask questions. You just seek to understand and they have to come to that realization themselves. Totally true. I mean, this is pretty eye-opening, honestly. It's really, well, one, you've, you've done a great job explaining it. And um, obviously, I think, you're, yeah, you're doing a great, you're running a great business. I'm sure a lot of teachers are being helped. And I'm just grateful that you gave me some of your time and your insight is incredible. I got some new uh, phrases I'm going to be dropping on people. Now, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Well, I really appreciate your questions. They're, they're ones that need to be asked more often. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I just think like there's things that I think about. And when you're talking, I'm like, man, this... I got to go here with this because this is where it seems like this is an interesting, I want to know the answer to this, at least your perspective and you give great perspective. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for your time, Amber, and we will be in touch. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you today. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone.